0: Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time... Uh, I'm Rick Burgess. I'm co-host of the Rick and Bubba show. That's my day job, uh, but also director for themanchurch.com, which is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, if you have never been to themanchurch.com, if you're in leadership in your church, you'd like to pass it along to your pastor, uh, or whatever you call the shepherd of, of your church, uh, or whoever is in charge of the men's ministry, uh, about our hub, themanchurch.com. Uh, we have curriculum designed for men, 40-week curriculum. Our fourth one will be coming out here uh, by the end of April. We have three of them already ready for you to go. We uh, also have speakers and teachers that will go out uh, and handle your men's gatherings if you need speakers for that, and that's the high challenge. Then we put them in the curriculum uh, for the high equipping. All of that is available. It's, it's turnkey strategy for men. Uh, part of uh, of it, of course, are gatherings, and we do have gatherings that men going out all over the country. If you'd like to find those, you can go to themanchurch.com, click on events, and you'll find services that are, going on in different markets and you can plug in into the curriculum through one of those services wherever you may be living or find something close to you. Coming up this weekend uh, on the 14th and 15th of April, I'm doing this Bible study live on the 12th. Uh, I'll be going to Omaha, Nebraska, West Side Church. I'll be there speaking to those men this weekend. Excited about that. Coming up next Friday uh, on the 21st of April, uh, I'll be in Brandon, Florida. Uh, we'll be there at Bell Shoals Church. Uh, Sherry, my wife, will be with me. We'll be doing a marriage conference there. You can find that. At BurgessMinistries.com by looking at events, and also if you're looking, uh, and the only reason why I'm telling you, only reason why I'm telling you this now is that tickets are going really, really fast. Uh, I'm honored to be speaking again this year at the Gridiron Men's Conference Father's Day weekend, that Friday and Saturday prior to Father's Day, uh, be speaking there. Uh, Mike Pence will be speaking, uh, David Jeremiah will be speaking, Robert Jeffers uh, will be speaking. And then I'll also be joining them uh, with Phil Waldrop Ministries. Uh, It'll be in Huntsville, Alabama at the Von Braun Center. Uh, So if you do not have those tickets, I just want you to know I just heard from them, and they're going really fast. Uh, You don't want to miss that if you want to get your men and be with us in Huntsville uh, for the Gridiron Conference coming up Father's Day weekend. So just make a note of that. All right, so we're going to also – if you're looking for a great gift for the fathers on your Father's Day list, uh, we do have a brand new resource from themanchurch.com. It's called Transformed. Uh, It is a 31-day devotional. This is an individual resource, uh, and it's uh, the first one that I've ever written all of the commentary. I've been excited about the response to this so far, and we're going to have a special Father's Day promotion that will be going along with that. Uh, Also, right now, if you're a pastor or you're in leadership at, at your church and you're like, I'd like to buy one of these for every man in our church. Well, if you'll go to the manchurch.com and contact us, uh, we're offering bulk discounts for you to buy them Uh, You know, in large quantities, and then you can give them out as a gift for Father's Day coming up. So that way, if you're going to challenge men on Father's Day to take the role of spiritual leadership, you can also give them something that can equip them to be able to do that. So uh, all that's available at themanchurch.com. So let's open up in a word of prayer. We will be in the Revelation. We're walking through every word of the Revelation. Today we'll be in Chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and turn there to join us. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to unpack your holy word and to hear clearly from you, even things that sometimes, sometimes things to us seem so complicated through the power of the Holy Spirit they can be discerned appropriately and clearly. And we pray for that power of the Holy Spirit today to stand in for all the inadequate, (laughs) uh, you know, attempts that I will make to teach this. I will not go into this without you and your Holy Spirit. So give us the power to hear, understand, and teach correctly your Holy Word. Lord, we also uh, pray a special prayer for any of the men that are normally in this room uh, that, are, that are going through difficulty to get here today. We, we pray for Harry, Lord, who is, um, you know, he, he doesn't miss a Wednesday, and I know with this infection in his body right now in the hospital, we as his brothers of Christ pray for you to heal him, that he can return to be with us and return to his family. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so Revelation 7. So, um, you know, this is one of those things, there's been a lot of different interpretations of this, but I I think uh, one of the things I hope the Revelation and our trip through the Revelation has been for a lot of you and will continue to be, and I'm getting a lot of feedback, so so far so good, Uh, some of these things, like me, I would look at the Revelation, and I'm going to be honest, as I've been studying this, and spending time in this, I was really making a lot of this more complicated than it really is. And and I think that's because of uh, the mysticism and the obsession with the supernatural parts of it. And like I told you the very first time we met to jump into it, we're not going to have that kind of attitude about the revelation. Ultimately, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, And for those of us that have been redeemed, it's good news. And for those that are yet to repent, it's, uh, it's an encouragement to do so. Uh, Because of God's wrath, that is coming. Today we're going to get into the 144,000, and I have heard some outrageous interpretations of this, Uh, and I think most that have that interpretation apparently have never read it Uh, because when you read it, it tells you exactly who these people are, Uh, and and if you you read, it tells you exactly what they're going to be doing. So we will unpack that today, and we're going to have a strange concept. We're going to read the Scriptures just as they are. Uh, And so... And then we're going to walk that out. So let's talk about where we are going into Revelation seven. I don't know that we'll get through the whole chapter. I've got it broken down in two places where we can stop. If I look up and I think we're not going to make it, then I'll end it uh, 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 eight verses in. If I think we're going to make it, we'll go all the way to seventeen. We the sixth seal has been removed since the last time we were together. Now this is the sixth seal is the beginning of the day of the Lord judgments. Remember the first. The first four were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then we got into to five, um, but the first five seals are severe, but six has been far worse than anything prior, and seven is going to be worse than that. Okay, but right now where we're where we're jumping in seven, the sixth seal has been it it has been released and the six-sealed judgment, the day of the Lord, the first of the day of the Lord, is coming down on the entire world. It is so severe. Remember what God is trying to do here. It is so severe, it is forcing people to acknowledge that this is the judgment from God. Now, when we get to the 144,000, you're going to see that these people, because of who they are and their heritage, They know so much about God, and they know so much about his prophecy, they, because of the sixth seal, have realized this is him. We missed Messiah. Okay? And they acknowledge it. Uh, And then they're given uh, a job to do, which is going to be beautiful when you see what God is doing in this. So chapter 7 is going to focus on the time between the sixth and seventh seal. So all six have been handed out. Okay, the sixth is happening now, but it's before the seventh. All right, everybody everybody know what we're doing? And it's going to reveal two groups of people who will survive the fury of this divine judgment. And we're going to deal in verses one through eight with the first group of people, and the first group of people are going to be Hebrew evangelists. Okay, that's the first group. That's the 144,000. Now, let me give you the history of, of of, of these people because it's going to be important to note this when we go forward. The times we're living in right now, we have 10 tribes of Israel that we don't know where they are. Okay. Now this, some of you may or may not know this. The term Jewish is talking about the Southern kingdom. That means the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, you know, Benjamin went into the tribe of Judah. So they, they became one tribe. Now God's about to separate them again back to get his twelve. But when you hear someone say they're Jewish, that that's really talking about their ethnicity and it means they're from the tribe of Judah. So the reason why we are dealing with people that we call Jewish because these are the only two tribes that we know where they are. Why? Because they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Okay? So but the northern kingdom Israel is where the 10 other tribes were. And remember, the northern tribes, they never had a good king, not one. Every single king that the ten tribes to the north had all were bad and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so he scattered them. Uh, And they were taken captive by the Assyrians, and they were taken all over the world into slavery. And we, in our limited knowledge, lost where they are. God knows where they are, as you're about to see. He didn't have any problem finding them. He knows exactly where they are. Okay? But so understand, we get focused on talking about a group of people that we know where they are, but that's from the southern kingdom. That's from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So God is about to take the 12, and you're going to see two get left out, and we'll we'll talk about that and why that is, and he's about to use them to reach, I'm talking about a multitude of people during the time between the 6th and 7th seal. Okay? Everybody with me? Everybody tracking with me? So to call them Jewish evangelists really isn't correct. We should call them Hebrew evangelists because all the twelve tribes come back. Okay, so uh, the, the, and, and that that's why we 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 don't know exactly where they are now, but we're they they are reestablished here by God. So these Hebrew evangelists will be protected uh, from the Antichrist and and all his henchmen that he has sent out to to eradicate all the believers in the one and only living God and, 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 and Jesus. They've been protected by the wars. They've been protected by the famine. Uh, they have been protected by the unprecedented natural disasters of the sixth seal, all the diseases, uh, all the unchecked sinfulness, the savage persecution of those who, uh, who are repenting and acknowledging Christ as savior, uh, a savior. They will enter the millennial kingdom alive. They will be protected all the way to the millennial kingdom. Uh, God does; uh, He preserves His people. This is also a familiar theme. You might remember when God looked down on Noah and his family, He protected him uh, of the first judgment of the world. David speaks; uh, you know uh, that that he uh, is being uh, protected by God. Malachi talks about this many times, as we've mentioned. And this is a time of God's wrath, and it will be a time of unparalleled judgment, disaster, and death, but, and we talked about this, it will also be a time for many to come to salvation and to redemption. We've already seen some of this after the fifth seal. Uh, But in the sixth seal, John sees a time of redemption for the Hebrews, and he sees Israel's national salvation is coming. Now. If you want to take some time to, to read that, you can go to Zechariah and Zechariah's prophecy, uh, and he talks about this uh, in chapter 12, uh, verse 10. He also talks about it. This is Zechariah in chapter 13, verse 1, and then you'll also see it uh, in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13. So th- this is when this is when this prophecy is that there's coming a time that God's people, his his chosen people, Israel, they will as a nation see salvation. And this is the beginning of that what John is seeing. Paul spoke about this in Romans 11:26 and he, and here's what he said, and so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. So Paul is even saying, this is going to happen. They're going to come around. okay? And, and John is now seeing that. So verses 1 through 8 introduces a group of survivors preserved during the tribulation to be evangelists. And, and so the first thing we see in verse 1 is God's wrath restrained. Look, look at this. Here's what John sees in chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. So what, what does this mean? Well, you, you see that, uh, that, that there's a new vision, and you know, any time that John says after this, He's, he's saying, now, now everything I'm seeing is shifting. I'm getting something new that I haven't seen yet. And he says, after this new vision, from judgment on the ungodly, he's now seeing special protection for the godly. He sees four angels. You know, time that you see, uh, and throughout Scripture, you see that, uh, that when you see angels presented this way, it always means judgment throughout Scripture. Uh, these four have the power over the elements of nature. They're standing at the four corners of the earth, and they're holding back the four winds of the earth. Now, keep in mind, it only took four of them to do it. I'd I'd make a note of that. Uh, these, These are powerful supernatural beings, but they are having to hold back the elements. Now, a lot of loons... I couldn't think of a word any nicer than that, uh, that think that this means the world is flat. Uh, that That is incorrect. Uh, it, it's And there's all kinds of, of science to support that that is a ridiculous thing to think. This is not one of the things that should be used to say the earth is flat. It means the whole earth. It's what scientists would call the four quadrants of the compass. What John is seeing is that these angels are holding back the, the, the winds from the north, the south, the east, and the west, four winds also um, uh, reflect the same vision, all winds, meaning that they're, they're keeping any wind from coming from any direction from these key positions on the earth. The four angels uh, uh, will ensure that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. And, of course, the four winds have also been associated with God's judgment, as we know, um, if you want to make a note of this, Jeremiah speaks of the four winds, Jeremiah 49, 36. Uh, you also see Daniel speaking of the four winds, and Daniel 7, 2. And then the writer of Hebrews talks about this uh, in Hebrews 13, 15. So for a period of time, judgment will be held back. These angels uh, essentially have turned off the engine of the earth's atmosphere, so it has no wind, no breeze, no waves, no movement of clouds, everything will be deathly still. And and, and it only took four of them to do it. But holding back, if you see the Greek word here that, that, that we're interpreting as holding back, it means the winds are fighting and trying to break free. And you know why they're fighting trying to break free? Because the earth has been waiting on this thing to end, and it's ready to get it on. So he's going, bring on the seventh seal. And and these angels are saying, we're stopping this right now because there's going to be a period of redemption that God's going to allow in the day of the Lord. I don't know how much more gracious he can be. So now looking at verses 2 and 3, then I saw another angel uh, ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. All right, so another angel, when he says, From the rising of the sun, that all that is is telling you a direction. John sees an angel coming from the east, and you know what's cool this is really cool. Remember, John is getting this vision from the island of Patmos. Well, where Patmos is located, if John was looking to the east and he said, "I see this angel coming from the east," that was the direction of Israel. So, I see this angel coming from the east, um, and um, uh, Messiah. I see. I, I'm looking at Israel, you know, because they produced the Messiah. You know, Messiah came from the, from, from there. Here's this angel, he's rising from there, and, uh, and the 12 tribes are about to be sealed. See, It says this angel has the seal with him of the living God. Now the seal here uh, on the, the Greek word really means like a signet ring of a king. You know how the kings, when they would take a document and they would put their signet in the wax and they would seal it? Uh, this is what this means. It means ownership. That means God's going to say, these are mine. They've repented. They've 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 acknowledged uh, that that I have sent Messiah. They've acknowledged that Jesus is the only way that they can be in my presence. They finally have acknowledged of all they knew about me when they saw this judgment. They said, "We missed it," and they're trying and, and they've gotten right with me. So I'm now going to seal them. They're uh, uh, they're mine. They're my property. You know, all of us were bought by Christ. On the cross, who have been redeemed, he bought us. We belong to him. Paul tells us what we're due loss to him now. We are his bond servants, and so he's saying that that I'm going to 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 make them my property. And don't forget that when these angels keep calling the one and only God we serve, the living God, every time they do that, that is a direct shot at all the false gods, including the Antichrist. You know what they're saying. Yeah, we're doing this for the living God. We're doing this for the only true God. Everybody else is false. Everybody else has no standing, and we will seal his as well. This Now, what, well, look at this. God's foreshadow. This is the moment when the Passover blood of the Lamb seals his people. Those who God marks will be spared the coming destruction of Jerusalem. Think about that. It, now we're watching the Passover all over again, and uh, and so God's just so the angel uses a loud voice. Now the the Greek word here means it was authoritative, and he says, "Don't release the seventh seal until we get these protected, until the bond servants are sealed. They're already redeemed, and they're now preaching the gospel to all who will listen, and will now be protected to continue." Next, the next phase is so severe, they must be protected supernaturally by God, and they will be. Now, I want you to think about this. These are the Hebrews. Think about Jesus crying over Jerusalem in Matthew twenty-three. Is now, is it Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven? I believe, and and then of course uh, Luke documents it too. And I can't remember what chapter that is. I, I, I in Luke it may be somewhere around fourteen, but anyway. Jesus is crying over Jerusalem, and what does Jesus say to his, his people? He said, you have stoned the prophets, and you have killed those that my father sent you. And I would have preferred, and this flies in the face, I know from some theology out there, but it's just the Bible. He said, I would have, I would have preferred if, if I could have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under my wings to protect you, and here it comes— but you were not willing. Sounds like they made a choice. So you were not. You were not willing. And so and so. The, but but here he comes. But here he comes. In his grace, he goes right back to these same people that rejected him. Okay. And you know what? Everything they've been through. You know what Jesus said. You know why he's crying. You just brought destruction down on yourself. You just brought a spiritual blindness down on yourself, and y'all are going to have a horrible time because of this. Anybody anybody disagree with that? Anybody think the Hebrews have had a tough ride? It's been a really tough ride. Everybody wants to kill them, okay? They've been persecuted, and they've suffered quite a bit. And now what he says is, but we're going to make it right. And now these very same Hebrews, these same tribes that have rejected Messiah, have now repented, they they are now marked and protected by God as he always said he would protect them. This is what Jesus was talking about. I'd rather seal you now. Now, I know being a Gentile, it's kind of a strange feeling to go, kind of glad they didn't. I mean, that gave us our shot. So, But see what they were supposed to do They were supposed to bring Messiah to us But they didn't So he shifted to the Gentiles and said Paul I'll I'll, I'll use the Gentiles to go reach the world I wanted my people to do it But look at him giving them another shot And it says Thou, they will be The most effective missionaries The world has ever known Just like they were always intended to be Okay Somebody say amen to that All right, so now we we go through verses 4 through 8, and it tells us who who, who they are. And I don't know why people have tried to make this 144,000 anything other than what the Bible says it is. The Bible tells us who they are. Where does anybody get off trying to make them be anybody else? It tells us who they are. Here's what it says. It says, and I heard a number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Where does anybody get off thinking that the Bible didn't say that? Uh, You know, these these could be the... uh, It tells you who they are. It says they're the the 144,000 sons of Israel. Does it not say that? Can everybody see it in your Bible? Where do we get off saying it's something else? So anyway, so it says here they are. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. Make some notes here. Don't miss something that's happening. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. We got it. It clearly says who they are. These Hebrew evangelists are the first fruits of Israel, which as a nation will be redeemed before the second coming of Christ. This is talked about throughout Scripture. Zechariah, here he comes again. I told you this chapter again, but go back and look at it again. Chapter 12, verse 10. I've already mentioned this once. Chapter 13, 1, and then 8, 9. There's those same verses out of Zechariah. Romans eleven twenty six we just read. 144,000 does not represent all Jewish believers at that time, but a unique group selected what? To proclaim the gospel in that day. They were sealed to be evangelists. 12,000 from every, every one of the 12 tribes. Do you notice that God is not going, well, I don't know where the other 10 are. He's known where they've been the whole time, okay? And so clearly it says every tribe of Israel. Now, some say this is the church, I, I don't agree with that. There's, there's no clear-cut example in the New Testament of the church being called the sons of Israel. Uh, it's just not there. Uh, and, uh, and there's nothing in the ancient church writings that would identify us as being part of this. Now, they're going to they're be part of the church, but it's not the, 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 the already existing church. They now have become part of the church, but it represents specific Hebrew evangelists. That's who they are. You know why I say that? Because the Bible says that, and we have nothing in our ancient writings and nothing in the New Testament that would disagree with that. Okay, so so that that's important. Uh, many point out that the, that you also have to find a way to support the church being divided into twelve tribes if you believe that's a it's church. We can't find anything that says that. There's no nowhere says anything about the church of, of acts is divided into twelve groups of twelve, 12 tribes. So it's it's a reach not to just take it for what it actually says. Also, uh, there's no serious way to go any other way than to take the number literal, 12,144,000 total, because God is a God of order. Notice he went 12,000 of each tribe. Uh, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin uh, combined, we know that the 10 lost tribes, not to God, they're now included. The, the tribal records were lost in AD 70, Thanks to the Romans, who tended to destroy everything, but God knew where they were the whole time. Now, the, the, the list does raise some questions, and we're we're not afraid of questions. We're in the, the Bible. God certainly certainly isn't. So first, um, there's no standard way of listing them. Notice this: if you go into the Old Testament and you take the tribes of Israel, they're listed in 19 different ways. Uh, but uh, but but Judah here is listed first. And and ahead of Reuben, and we know why. Uh, Judah, of course, produced you know the, the the lineage to Christ. But why? Reuben also forfeited his birthright, uh, and uh, and and we we've covered that in our study of Genesis. You're get you're are you are you all starting to see why it was so important that we studied Genesis first. Uh, we also see that uh, that we've got um, we've got Dan omitted in favor of Levi. Uh, Dan was omitted uh, from this protection. Doesn't mean that the tribes of Dan, uh, the tribe of Dan cannot come to Christ or that none of them do. But this special protection, Dan's tribe doesn't get because of Deuteronomy 29, 18 through 24, because his tribe was defiant and they were set on idolatry and God tells them at the time, there'll be a price for that. So they don't get the seal. They don't get protected. Uh, you also see uh, that... Um, that Dan's going to share in the millennial blessings because he does show back up uh, his tribe, and you see that in Ezekiel 48, write this down, verses 1 and 2, Ezekiel 48, 1 and 2, and 32, they will not be selected for this duty nor protected during the tribulation, but apparently when you get to the millennial kingdom, they're back, so some of them survive. They just don't get the protection, and they're not given the role of these Hebrew evangelists because of their idolatry, okay? Okay. By the way, God real serious about idolatry. Ephraim is also omitted in favor of Joseph. Uh, two reasons. Um, he, def- he defected from the ruling house of Judah. You find that in Isaiah 7.17. His tribe uh, you know, uh, defected from Judah. And like Dan, they were also consumed with idolatry. Uh, you see that in Hosea uh, 4.17 so Manasseh, his brother, is included because he was always faithful. He was the faithful son of Joseph. Now, it's a critical point here that we cannot miss. No matter what you think is going on in the world today or what you think the Hebrews have been through and all the attempts to annihilate them, all the things going on as we sit here today, don't you dare think for a moment that God has done with the nation of Israel because he's not. He's not, and he makes that very clear. They did fail in the uh, the mission to be the, the witness nation in the Old Testament. From the Hebrew people will come the greatest missionary force the world has ever seen. The result, how about this? You're going to see Israel, and this puts chills on me, Jesus crying over them because they didn't go and reach the world and point them to the proper Messiah. And he has come back, and he has redeemed them. Israel has been redeemed, and because of these redeemed uh, sons of Israel, these redeemed Hebrews, a huge number of redeemed Gentiles will come directly from their efforts. God promised that they would reach the Gentiles and in the tribulation they will. Just let that sit it. when God says something's going to happen it happens. Now you may not like the way he does it, but you'll never be able to argue with his results. Moving on, the second group of people. So what we're going to see now in in verses nine through seventeen, we are going to see, the greatest responses to the gospel throughout history have come with the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, right? That, that's big. The Reformation in Europe in the 16th century. These are the great responses to the gospel throughout history. The great awakening in America in the 18th century. Now, we discussed this. That Part of that great awakening, think about this, tie this together, because you're about to see this is going to be the greatest in the tribulation. What was the message that Jonathan Edwards preached? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He taught wrath. Remember he telling you a a couple of, of Bible studies ago when he preached that, that people were crying and weeping and said at points you couldn't even hear him because of the mourning and the crying in the audience, and they were crying out, what must we do to be saved? And he was preaching what? God's wrath. It's kind of hard to understand that Jesus is your Savior if no one ever tells you what He's saving you from. And 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 I think we are erring that we're not talking about God's wrath enough. We don't need to talk about it all the time because we need to know about we need to know about His grace and His love. But what we do is we want to we want to really immerse ourselves in the grace and the love because it's a good message. People like it. People don't get mad at you. People don't get upset. But I just hope we aren't making people comfortably you know, enjoy their journey straight to hell. You know, I don't think that's our job. Our job is to t- teach the entire gospel, which includes grace and mercy. But right here we're seeing that there's an awful lot of uh, a connection to God's wrath, and God's wrath is causing people to respond. So there have been, uh, there's been other smaller movements. You know, we've got the Jesus Revolution movie that's out now. Great movie. I got no problem with that. Enjoyed it. Uh, But the three biggies were the birth of the church at Pentecost, the Reformation in Europe in the 16th century, and the Great Awakening in America in the 18th century. Now, the coming of a future worldwide response to the gospel will exceed any other in history. Uh, In the future, God will put his spiritual and eternal salvation on display at a very unexpected time. The scriptures, uh, too many to list, clearly show God is our Savior and his desire that people be saved. We know that Peter says it's his desire that none would perish. Now, during the worst time in human history, literally during this sixth to seventh seal, it will be hell on earth, okay? I mean, that's what's breaking loose. God is going to save people at a level and at numbers that we have never seen, even in the greatest awakening and the greatest movement, it'll make Pentecost like nothing. It'll make the Reformation look like nothing. The Great Awakening it'll 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 look like small play. And how's he doing it? When hell is breaking loose on earth, it's twofold. And we just discussed the saving of Israel as a nation. Now these first fruits, the 144,000 Hebrew evangelists, will preach the gospel both to their countrymen, to other sons of Israel, uh, but also to the Gentiles. And this is what we see in verses 7 through 17. Now remember, in Genesis chapter 12, so glad we studied Genesis, aren't y'all? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God promises Abraham to bless Israel, but he also promised salvation to the Gentiles through them. You see what's happening? God graciously grants Israel a second opportunity to be his witnesses, to be his witness nation. And and how about this? And this time, everybody ready for a big amen? And this time, they will not fail. Amen. Isaiah talks about it in chapter 1110, if you want to make a note of that. Also in chapter 45 of Isaiah, verses 22 did I tell y'all to study Matthew 24? Have y'all read it? Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24, 14. Uh, also, can I tell you what's odd in one of the prophecies about this? One of the odd prophecies in this is uh, actually takes place in John 11, 50 through 52. Turn to that real quick. I, I, I can't let this go. All right, go, go to John, and then let's go to chapter 11. This is going to blow your mind. If you haven't already seen this, um, we're gonna we're gonna go to um, uh, when when John is talking about. Um, sorry, I've got the wrong I've got the wrong thing there. It's not the right thing. Well, anyway, when he's standing because there's not there's not I don't know where I got wrote down fifty fifty two. I don't know where I am. I must be back in Isaiah. But anyway, when when Caiaphas is sitting there and he's taking on Jesus and he's mocking Jesus. And so do you remember the the thing that that he says when he questions Jesus and everybody starts talking uh, about Jesus? And, you know, people begin to question, I don't know that we have enough witnesses. I'm not sure that we should be doing this. And Caiaphas actually says, what's more important? Do you really think that by the blood of one man versus the entire nation of Israel? Caiaphas actually prophesied that Jesus would save everybody in Israel. And he and he makes that himself when he's talking to him in John chapter eleven, Romans seven nine through seventeen also speaks to this, and Romans three twenty nine also speaks to this. So look at seven through nine, uh, where, where he says after these things a new vision, and and then remember he talks about a great multitude no one can count, unlike the one forty the one the, the one hundred forty four thousand. Look at verse nine. It looks a little different now. After this, what do we know? That means a new vision. I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So this is even bigger than the 144,000 because he says, I can't count these. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue, every culture, every descent, every race, every language, this group— you know, was not sealed, unlike the 144,000, because they're already in heaven. He's seeing people that were martyred, like I told you, who did listen to the Hebrew evangelists. They did repent, and then, of course, they were, they were killed. Now, they're clothed in white robes. Now, we know the Greek word here for the white um, road is, is lykos. It's dazzling, it's brilliant. It's a shining white. You, in the ancient times, they, they wore these for festivals and celebrations. The robes here is, is, the, is the Greek word stole, which means they're long, full-length robes. These are the same ones worn, worn by the martyrs back in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. They are likely building on that number as the tribulation wears on. Uh, Again, these robes are more symbolic than literal because they don't have their glorified resurrection body yet. But what I'm saying is this is likely the same people that John saw in 6, but since he has been shown that, the tribulation is churning, and it's almost like you're going back to a group, and you're like, wow, there's more people there now. So now that same bunch of the martyr just keeps growing, which means uh, a a large number of people are going to be martyred in the tribulation, but they will be redeemed. So palm branches, we know this. In Scripture, this is always associated with celebration, deliverance, and joy. So he sees them with palm branches. It was prominent at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. So John recognizes this vision quickly. Where else did we see them? We just did. talked about it last week. Hosanna, palm branches. Hosanna, uh, as Jesus made his uh, triumphant entrance into Jerusalem, uh, standing before the throne and before the Lamb is where they are. Now this harkens back to chapter 4, verse 2, and 5, verse 6. Remember we saw this when they were praying for vengeance, also in in 6. But now they're not praying for vengeance. Uh, They're actually standing. It's triumphantly they're standing before the Lamb. It's now a victory victory. Celebration. Now look what happens in 10. Action. So now in, in verse 10, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So now there, there's action. They cry out with a loud voice, joyous, exuberant worship. Salvation is the theme of the worship. And we see this throughout Revelation. They now claim God. As their own. What do they say? Salvation belongs to our God. We're with him now. We're in his presence. He's ours. And now look at 11 through 12. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Notice, notice this statement starts with an Amen and ends with an Amen. Amen. Let it be so. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, and we'll take another amen. So when he sees the martyrs. He sees their triumphant celebration. He looks around and says, hey, they're not alone. All the angels, I can't even count them. There's the elders. There's the four living creatures. They all fall on their faces before the throne and worship God. They're so overwhelmed by his majesty, they begin to utter a benediction beginning and ending with amen. Worship seems to be constant, seems to be a constant theme in heaven. Forever and ever indicates this praise is not temporary. It will be worship that will never cease through all of endless eternity. Can you imagine you ever been in a moment of worship and you thought, I wish this would never end and well, I wouldn't have to head back to the garbage that waits on me? Well, guess what? That day's coming. It'll be worship that never ends. That It will go on and on, and that feeling will not be temporary because that fallen flesh that keeps trying to take that away on Monday will be gone. We, we will be in the proper place. So now John gets involved. He can't – I mean – you ever, you ever seen that? And you're like, the fear of missing out. i got to get involved. And so John, in 13, says, then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I love that the elder asked John. John's answer had me laughing while I was studying this. And John goes back to him, sir, you know. Why are you asking me? I mean, you're one of the elders. You know who these people are. But but he he's wanting to be sure John knows. Because why? John's got to tell us. And this is one of those things, too, that people have all these theories about. Why don't we just see what the elder told John? If John's been asked a question and he looks and says, well, don't you know, and then the elder tells him who they are, is that not good enough? Why is that not good enough for us? The, I mean, the Bible says one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and, and, and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation." They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, does anybody not know who these people are now? Did the elder not just answer it? They're the people that came out of the tribulation. They're the ones that that repented and acknowledged Christ as Savior during the tribulation and were martyred. So John, the elder knows the answer, but he wants to make sure John knows it so that, uh, that, that he will make sure... Uh, that uh, that we get it correctly that these are the ones that were redeemed during the tribulation and they are the overcomers. Anybody remember overcomer? You're going to see it again at the end. Where do we keep hearing the word overcomer letters to the churches, but to the overcomer, the robe to the overcomer, the seal to the overcomer, to the overcomer. See, This is a theme that you're going to see. And Remember what we identified with the overcomer is? See, there's going to be a great falling away from the church. The overcomer will be the ones who don't. There's going to be those that get in the tribulation, and they're going to have to overcome a lot, and they do. They never will reject him. Now, I know we can sit here, like I said before, and say, well, I'd never reject him. We'll see. You know, I you know, I hope I hope that's true, but I don't know if you're looking around even now. We're not we're not anywhere near where this thing's going to be. So don't hear me saying that. But you are getting to the point. It, it the, the movements in this country now. Other people have been experiencing this around the world long before us, but it's finally going to start costing Western followers of Jesus. Our faith is going to start costing us something. It may it, it's cost me relationships, and it may have cost you. But you're going to get to the point. If you're looking right now, and if you're paying attention with a proper definition, the country in which you now live, and Europe, you're the same way, okay? Everybody is supposed to be allowed to live out their own truth, and they're supposed to be able to live any way they want to, except you, except me, because our faith is offensive. So, so the fact that that if we say, well, Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one can be redeemed any other way. Well, see, we can't let you have that truth because we don't like that. You are not allowed to have your truth. And you know what finally they get around to? I'll tell you what the problem is, is all these fundamentalists. It's it, This church and all their God standards and this God they've created from the Bible, and, you know, God's evolved, and and, uh, you know, and I, I've actually had this conversation with those who say God evolved and goes to a, it's not a church, they, they think it's a church, but you know what they say when you ask them how do you know God has evolved? They leave this. I'm holding the Bible up for those of you that are listening only. They leave this, and you know where they go? Because I've observed it. Really? So you're saying if you go out in the world and what you see out there, the fact that it's allowed to go on means God's okay with it? Well, see, that's what happens when you leave any kind of standard. You don't have a foundation. Then anything goes. If God's evolved on marriage, what else has he evolved on? If God's evolved on gender, what else has he evolved on? If God's evolved on where life begins, what else has he evolved on? Before you know it, God's evolving on all kinds of things. And so that's the danger. And so that's why you hear Christ saying to the overcomer, they'll be with me. Because unfortunately, people will decide to reject Christ and go another way. Now, John tells us, when he's asked about that in 1 John, now he tells us that when you have this great fall away, those who fall away never were with us. They were they they were their claim of faith was fake anyway. And when it was vetted out, and when it was when when it was tested, 1 Peter, when it was tested, they didn't pass. Uh, so to the overcomer. Uh, and and John says to this elder, you know, and, uh, uh, and and notice he calls him Lord, Lord, you know. Now that's not saying this is God or this is not Jesus. This is just, uh, uh, and, and it was very common in the in the uh, the Hebrew culture to call someone Lord was just great respect. So this elder is confirming that the ones who came out of the great tribulation is what John's seeing. They lived in it. They came out of it. This group will keep growing. The the term come out of the Great Tribulation distinguishes them from any other group. This is important. I'm about to say next, of redeemed people in history. Okay, Great Tribulation, sixth seal through the trumpets and the bowl judgments in the seventh, they have no parallel in human history. Now listen, because some of you need to hear this. If you're still trying to figure out where you are on the church being raptured, some of you don't believe that. Okay. You, you have a different view. You think the church goes through at least either all the tribulation or part of it. I will tell you, this is another supporting of the rapture. It's another uh, point. Why is the elder telling John that this is a distinguished group of people who came out of the tribulation? Why is he having, any, why didn't he just say, what you see is the church? He didn't say that. What you see are those that came out of the tribulation, meaning they're they're a distinct group. If it was just the church, if the church goes through the tribulation, you know what he'd say. Well, what you're seeing here, John's the church, but he doesn't say that. He said these are the ones that come out of the tribulation. They're different, and that's another support that the church does not go through the tribulation. So make a note of that. Uh, if not, uh, why would he not? Why would he say it the way he said it? Uh, if the church goes through it, then why does the elder need to identify or distinguish these people? Um, anyway, so they're clothed in white robes. We got that, uh, th- but this time it says they're washed and made white in the blood of the lamb. There it is again. Yeah, I tell you why they're celebrating now. They were finally washed, completely clean by blood, the blood of the lamb. That's that white you see is what fully righteous. The blood of the Lamb, which means what? Until they acknowledged him as Savior, until they repented, they weren't clean. They're really clean now by the blood, and uh, so we got to be cleansed from sin. And what did he know throughout the whole sacrificial system? The blood sacrificed. But for the ultimate cleansing, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus would finally make them fully righteous, or we could say here, fully clean. Let's go to 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. How beautiful is this? The reason they can stand before the throne is they are now purified, fully righteous, now fit to serve God day and night. There will be no more day and night when we get to the final deal that, that literally, but what they're meaning here. He's not using this like a literal day and night. What he's saying is they won't stop serving him. It's a continual thing. You follow what I'm saying? It's not literal. It means continued service in his temple. So there's now a temple in heaven, and there will be one in the millennial kingdom of Christ on earth. Ezekiel 40 through 48 talks about in those chapters, chapter 40 through chapter 48. But in the eternal state, The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. No more sin. So God will dwell everywhere. No more separation. We will serve him, and we will worship him forever. And then 15 says, We will forever be protected by his presence in a heavenly sanctuary. And can you imagine? I want you all to imagine what that's going to feel like. It's going to be the most secure place you've ever been. You think you felt secure before? You have no idea what security feels like. I don't have any idea what security feels like. When I am in the presence of the Lord, fully righteous because of Jesus, and can come into his presence, and he says, you'll be protected by me forever, there's a security coming that we've never experienced, and it's going to be incredible. Uh, verses 16 through 17, there shall and, and, and they shall hunger no more neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Now, I'm looking forward to that growing up in Alabama. (laughs) I'm ready for humidity to be dead. And uh, so all the suffering and lack of provision will be over. Remember, they're scrounging. And even us that have not gone through the tribulation, and praise God, if you've been redeemed, you won't, but you've been through difficulty. You know, this constant worrying about how you're going to continue to eat How are you going to continue to do this? i got to go do this. If I lose my job, we can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. You see people talking about that. They've been through it to an extreme level, but everybody goes through it to some level. All that's going to be over. All the suffering and lack of provision is over. You know what you'll experience? Write this down. Eternal satisfaction. We just can't be satisfied here, can we? Has your flesh ever said, I'm good? Never. Even if it says I'm good for a moment, it comes back to you the next day and saying, "Hey, what's up? I'm not good anymore." You ever tried to satisfy the flesh? Let me save you some problem. Let me save you uh, some frustration. It ain't never going to be happy. You better start feeding the spirit. But here it'll be eternal satisfaction. The Shepherd Jesus will give us living water. Pain, sorrow, suffering will be over. No matter how bad it may seem for the church, God will redeem His people he will redeem his people for the lamb verse 17 in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and god will wipe away every tear from their eyes you know what you, you can take away from this last part because that includes us the Gentiles. You know, my wife is and I have an opportunity to talk to people sometimes in their lowest moment, talking to some people even right now who have experienced the death of a child, and God has given us that, um, that ministry. And my wife says this to him every time, and you've heard me mention it before, but it's right here, and you'll see it again when we get to Revelation 21. But right here, John is already seeing it. And one thing that I can tell you, no matter how hard things are for you right now and out there, no matter how hard things may be for you now, and there's some really hard things going on, there always are, because of what Christ has done, and, and John has had the chance to see it and to tell us, we can say with no hesitation, it won't always be like this. It won't always be like this. There, there's a day coming when your hunger and your thirst and the discomfort of the elements and the mourning and the disease and the death that our Lord and our Savior is going to wipe all that away. It won't always be like this. But if you're not redeemed, what's coming is, is far worse than anything you're experiencing right now. Do you want to have that eternal satisfaction? Do you want to have that eternal peace? I'm begging you to repent from your sins. Turn away from this wicked world. Don't listen to their voices. Their their voice is bent on destruction. You get yourself right with God. There's no sweeter place to be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for what we see here. We just celebrate. And we just thank you for the love that you've shown us. And we just with just all the enthusiasm, we can even muster thinking of that wonderful day when everything really is going to be all right. Thank you for offering us that, Lord. And I pray for anyone who doesn't have that peace, Lord that right now your Holy Spirit has pierced their heart and they're crying out, what am I supposed to do? And you told us to tell them, repent. Just turn from their sins and turn to you. Leave faith in themselves and faith in their flesh and submit to your authority and cry out that you are Lord. And then experience you as Savior and ask for you to forgive them. And if they're sincere, Lord, you say you will. If you're listening or watching and are in the room and you want to talk to me about that, you can email me, rick, at burgessministries.com, uh, and I'll be happy to help you and point you to the one who can redeem you. I can't, but he can. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.